Lights. Camera. Adaptations. Ever watched your favorite book become a movie and said, huh, well that certainly was a weird decision? Of course you have. Hollywood is constantly making changes for their adaptations, and this podcast aims to answer the question of why. Join host Emma Shannon and a different guest every month on Unnatural Selection, a new Moonshot Network podcast, as they talk about a film, its source material, and what makes an adaptation good, faithful, and less commonly, good and faithful. to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Sword of Summer. How are you doing today, Jane? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. We're trying a bold new experiment in uh, audio quality control this week. Yeah? Uh, listeners to the bonus show will know that uh, during our last recording, I did not have my pop filter because I've lost it. Uh, and I, I did my best to mitigate that, but, like, that comes across in the recording. I still haven't found it, but what I've done is basically uh, use the part that's still there to, like, glue a piece of Gunpla Runner to it, and then just oh kind of pull God. the sock over that. And I think, I'm looking at the waveforms, and they look a lot better than they did during the bonus episode, so I think this is working. So I, I think, you know, the, the, the most scuffed pop filter in history, I think, is is a success story. That is maybe the most scuffed one I've ever heard of. Uh, <laughs> I, it, it seems like maybe you just wanted to say that you had like gunpla attached to your microphone, and I mean, so it, you, it, this was just the only like rigid plastic that I could like cut off something and into a shape that I could use. That's fair. That's fair. Some people just literally just put a sock over their microphone. That seems insane to me. You're gonna get like lint in the microphone. Probably, it's gonna become smelly. <laughs> How are you, Jacqueline? I'm okay. Uh, I'm I'm not feeling smelly at all. I let's am, go. I'm, I'm, I guess uh, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm I'm feeling uh, good. I had a nice little breakfast, and I've I've been watching a musical uh, for for a special little project I'm doing for my other podcast. Uh, and yeah, okay, yeah, do you yeah. You have other podcasts, a... SMH. I'm sorry that I'm cheating on you with other podcasts. <laughs> It's just because I like to do it. Uh-huh. But are you, are you ready to talk about the the thing? I'm ready to talk about Magnus Chase. It's, it feels like it's been so long since we've talked about Magnus Chase, because it has been, because we took last week off. You were dead sick. I was incredibly sick. You were sick as a dog. I put in the, the Unwise Girls Discord uh, that the bonus episode wasn't coming out that week, but I was kind of, I was recovering and we could do the main episode. And then I got worse again <laughs> after I said that. You got, like, incredible disease. Uh, and right. I had to go to a wedding, so I didn't have time to edit. <laughs> Which is a disease all of its own when you think about it. They really do say traditional marriage sort of is a disease. It infects the mind. Uh, I, but, I, you know, you know what's not very traditional at all is Magnus Chase. I, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> maybe it's pretty traditional, actually. I think maybe we get into quite a lot about like uh, people's relationships with like traditions and their cultures in these chapters. We might. 
I guess we'll have to see starting now. Chapter 29, We Are Falafel Jacked by an Eagle. After the conversation with Mimir, Magnus, Samira, Hearth, and Blitz walk through the park toward the transportation building where Magnus is going to treat them to lunch. He knows a guy. On the way, they talk all about motivations. For instance, Sam questions if Mimir is actually on their side, and Magnus questions why Frey gave away the Sword of Summer in the first place. The answer? A apparently love. They don't get into that, though. Instead, they get into the food court, where Magnus comes every so often to get day-old food from Avdel Fadlon at Fadlon's Falafel. Sam gets a bit shy upon hearing where they're going, and when they see that the one working the counter is Abdel's son Amir, she gets even shyer. They seem to know each other somehow. Sam briefly mentions that they're very distantly related. And she makes the excuse of being the group's tutor. While Amir goes off to make their food, they hunker down at a table and get to work on planning the sword quest. But what's this? Fadlon's falafel is suddenly closed, and there's a weird pigeon that's come up to the table and started talking? Something suspicious is happening. The pigeon says that unless they cut a deal with him, they'll never see the sword again, nor will Sam ever see her intended. For his part, the thing he wants is just the first pick of the food when it arrives. Magnus agrees, but when Fadlon's unfreezes and they get their food, the bird, who Sam has said must be a giant, slurps almost every bit of it up in one bite. Magnus instantly lashes out, but his sword sticks to the bird's back, and the bird, now in eagle form, flies off with Magnus in tow. Chapter 30, An Apple a Day Will Get You Killed The giant slash bird drags Magnus around the city from rooftop to rooftop, getting him real banged up until, under threat of impalement on anti-pigeon spikes, Magnus makes this magical, solemn vow, swearing in his trough that he'll go on a quest for Big Boy. That, that's the bird's name. Uh, he wants Magnus to get one of Eden's apples of immortality from the sea goddess Ron and bring it back to him, at which point he'll be released from the vow. To do this, he and his friends are sent to the bay. It's fishing time. Chapter 31, Go Smelly or Go Home. At the bay, the gang meets up with Harold, an ornery frost giant with a super janky boat. Sam offers him some red gold, the currency of Valhalla, for his trouble, but Harold still insists that only two of them can fit. Hearth and Blitz decide that it'll be for the best if they stay behind and let the kids go fishing on their own. Harold points them to a warehouse where they can grab some bait, and they decide that the only thing good enough to get some godly attention is a big, severed bull's head. They lug it onto the boat, then set sail. Chapter 32, My Years of Playing Bass Masters 2000 Really Pays Off. Magnus and Sam are having what's basically a completely normal and boring fishing trip, but entirely awful because it's the middle of winter and they're slowly entering Jotunheim, the realm of the frost giants. But still, like any fishing trip, there is plenty of time for awkward conversations. For instance, Magnus wants to know, what's up with the headscarf? Her hijab explanation opens up into a wider talk where she admits the reason she was embarrassed at the food court was because she has a huge crush on Amir. In fact, they're arranged to marry eventually. Apparently, this arrangement was pretty generous on the Fadlon's part, considering Samir is the kid of a dead woman and a mysterious man nobody knows a thing about. This is also why she keeps her double life as a Valkyrie a secret. She wants to seem as normal as possible, you know, Spider-Man style. Plus, being a Valkyrie lets her do good heroic work. And fly. She dreams of being a pilot one day, and so flying as a Valkyrie lets her experience part of the dream. They cross over almost fully into Jotunheim by the time their conversation's over, and when Magnus tosses the bait in and hooks something, the catch is... a bit bigger than I expected. The World Serpent Itself. Chapter 33. Sam's brother wakes up kinda cranky. The World Serpent, another child of Loki, is huge, but it's not actually hurting them, just kind of lazily studying them. Magnus and Sam try to communicate with it for a bit. 
However, even though that doesn't work out, they've still got their main objective completed. Ron's attention. The sea goddess arrives, gliding over the water, bedecked in a melange of garbage. She's pissed that they've disrupted the sea in such a way by nearly waking the serpent, and Magnus takes advantage of that by threatening to wake it fully, destroying the whole seaboard if she doesn't agree to speak in good faith. She reluctantly agrees and sets her starting price. The sword for the mere price of his soul. Chapter 34. My sword almost ends up on eBay. And so the bargaining begins. Ron is steadfast in her demand for his soul, since he kind of died in the water and whatnot, but Magnus uses the tried-and-true tactic of coercion. He can tell how much Ron likes her little floating garbage patch she takes with her, so if she doesn't agree to his terms, he'll simply let Sir destroy it when the giant inevitably becomes for the sword, or perhaps destroy the netting and all caught in himself by calling the sword from the sea as he did earlier in the book. He's totally and insanely bluffing, but her collection is precious enough to her that she still agrees. The Sword of Summer, and one of Eden's Apples of Immortality, in exchange for a new piece to her collection, a genuine Valhallan sword. The goddess isn't happy with this, though, and she warns Magnus that if he ever tries to venture out onto the sea again, she, or her husband, I hear, will sink him. Also not pleased is Harold, who really wishes they hadn't taken his little boat out to face down a goddess and fish up the world serpent without, you know, asking first. Sam smooths things over with a bribe of some more red gold, and they sail back. Magnus holds the Sword of Summer again, and it fills him with such a familiar warmth like when he was with his mom that he begins to cry, and Sam wipes his tears away. So, Jane, what'd you think of these chapters? Uh, I thought these were really good. Yeah, same. I, it, Magnus Chase continues to just be, like, really fucking solid. Honestly, yeah. This is, like, we're, we're getting into, like, what the fun adventure stuff is, right? This is kind of our first, our first look at that. This, yeah, this feels like, like, classic PGO bullshit. Definitely, yeah, but it still has that signature Magnus flavor. Yeah, the, the flavor being that he, he kind of views the world through the lens of, and I think everything is very much being pitched through the lens of, like, what it's like to be a homeless kid. Yeah. Like, the Magnus Chase worldview is that, like, the Norse pantheon is kind of entirely either, like, types of homeless person or types of scumbag who take advantage of, like, poor and homeless people. Yeah, he explicitly compares Ron later to, like, a a, a bag lady, right? That's what, mm. he, that's what he calls her. Yeah. And, I, yeah, I guess uh, I hear he sort of compares to, you know, a, a type of scum, like you said, uh, an owner of a microbrewery. <laughs> well, less him, but I guess more in the sense of, like, like um, Mimia is kind of, you know, he's the capo, he's a mob boss who very clearly is, like, taking advantage of people's desperation to, like, bind them to his servitude, like he's done with Blitz and Half. Yeah. Which is, like, that's a situation you very easily end up in if you're, like, don't have a house. It's uh, easy or, to get taken advantage of when you need things very desperately. Or Big Boy, who, uh, like, I, I think has, like, loan shark energy, where he, like, uh, forces Magnus into swearing by his troth without telling Magnus what swearing by his troth means. Like That's a great intro to that concept, also. That feels like, you know, you give someone a loan, you don't tell them your interest rate. Yes, exactly. I Do you feel uh, sort of uh, vindified? Vindicated. Do you feel vindicated <laughs> uh, by Sam also questioning whether Mimir is a good guy or not? I do feel very vindicated by that. She's picked up on the exact things about his plan that I thought smelled like bullshit and possibly betrayal. 
It's really so funny I'm... how one-to-one it is with everything you said. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that this wasn't, like, something that we're just, it's just going to get hand-waved. Like, no matter what his intentions are, we're going to, like, treat it seriously and actually interrogate it. I believe they also say that just straightforwardly trusting him, this comes up in the conversation, they say that it is unwise. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing that we love on this podcast, it's unwisdom. That's right, that's right. Now, there, there's some interesting concepts brought up in this conversation. Uh, like, we, we get back into, like, the idea of fate. Like, how do you... When you know that your life is one big cycle, how the fuck do you, like, keep your brain intact, basically? Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, an important question. One that we... We get into this sometimes in previous Rick Riordan books. Like, people who are so, so, like, weird and mythical that... They are just like, you know, the the classic Rick Riordan insanity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's kind of what Ron has as well. A little bit, yeah. Uh, and we see this with like um the the weatherman in Heroes of Olympus. Yeah. Uh, for just for instance, and I I think that like this, but but bringing it specifically to the concept of like like the this whole book is so concerned with the idea of like this great cycle that's happening and i think in a way that you know we talked about like oh it's inevitable that the conflict is going to be ragnarok it obviously is Absolutely. we know that we know that now basically uh but i think it is slowly and surely endowing that with at least some meaning in a way that previous series might not have with their big existential threats I am so, so far, I am cautiously optimistic that this isn't going to be, like, what Gaia ended up being in Heroes of Olympus, which was just, like, you know, the final boss fight. It feels like there is going to be a bit more, like, pathos given to, like, people knowing that this is coming and, like, how they cope with that. Yeah, I mean, coping's a big thing in this, because, like, we, we talk all about how, like, you know... There are multiple instances, like, uh, Frey, Frey's whole thing with, like, sitting on the throne and finding, like, the location of the one he loved or whatever, but that, you know, sort of casting him out, and uh, Mimir's whole deal. Like, there's a, this whole series of, like, ideas of, like, hey, sometimes you don't want to know things. Yeah, I think that Magnus even explicitly calls this out. He, he says that, like, as far as he can tell, a suspicious amount of Norse mythology seems to be about learning that maybe you didn't want to know the thing that you wanted to know. Uh, and then we get a great little line from him about like that's that's worrying considering how like naturally curious I am, which I just like as a like Magnus is such a like cynical character. Yes, he seems he seems to know that he's doomed. Yeah, I, I mean, he's already been put to the fucking the knowing without him really wanting to. Like he got the Norns on him, the casting their runes about his fate. He got the Norns. I mean, yeah, he's doomed in so many senses of, like, the Norns casting his fate, uh, falling off a bridge and cracking his head on the ice. Which, I was I was confused that Ran said that uh, Magnus had drowned. I thought that the, the impact killed him. I, I thought that, too. I thought that had been said. Maybe this is just, like, nobody seems to... Everyone seems to have different, like, arguments about how Magnus died. Which feels like Rick Riordan's doing something here with, like... Ron's saying he drowned. Earlier it said that he cracked his head on the ice. Some people are saying, like, he died, you know, from the battle. Mm. Um, I, He's saying I mean, that he doesn't remember throttling, sir, even though that's what the body cam footage showed. Right. So I, I think this is an intentional sort of obfuscation, either one that serves, like, a thematic thing of, like, you know, like we're talking about things that you just cannot know and that can be argued over, or maybe, like, there is a literal 
plot point that's going to come up, like something happened in those last seconds. Maybe uh, Rick Ryan is building up to a thing about how body cams are not like sufficient for holding the police accountable. Maybe. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I don't think he is, but, you know, it'd be nice. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but you know what's more powerful than what's more powerful? holding people accountable? What would that be? The ultimate power of restraint and, you know, sort of neutrality. Uh-huh. We, I, I'm... Until we hear otherwise, I'm choosing to read all this shit about, like, Frey being the god of the middle ground as charitably as I can and assume that it's, like, more the nature god thing. That's fair. That's fair. Every single time it comes up, it makes me... I I instinctively sneer at it as though it is below me. My hackles raise as well, to be clear, but I... Yes. I'm gonna... I'm holding my hand out to Rick Ryden. I'm gonna trust him that that's not what he's doing right up until he does it and i'm disappointed yeah yeah that's fair uh someone who's not restrained though is sam i love how just she has gotten completely unrestrained ever since she's like gotten fired from being a valkyrie she's so fucking she will just attack you if she's mad she has been having to like watch her tone and her conduct around the valkyries for seemingly quite some time uh and you can really really feel that she doesn't have to do that anymore she was already not very good at it. <laughs> like she, she did choke slam Magnus when she first met him, but she is still just like she's very casual about it. But she is very mean, and I like that she is mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. It. It is. I feel like this is also the set of chapters where she feels the most like lightning thief Annabeth that she's felt like so far. Uh huh. I think especially the exchange where like Magnus is like, uh, but Haral doesn't look like a giant. He's not that big, and. Like Sam does the trademark Annabeth scoff roll eyes. Oh, don't you don't your mythology explains the mythology to you? Yes, yes. I like that, 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 was, that is Annabeth. That's that is an Annabeth. You know, I I think there was an article that came, came out recently where Rick Riordan talked about. Maybe he's talked about this before. He talked about like uh, how I I believe he said that Annabeth and Percy's relationship is basically just based on him and his wife. Uh, that would explain a lot. That since he keeps writing it over and over again, right? What you know, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair. That works. Yeah, uh, you're talking about how Magnus sort of views the world through this lens. You know, his experiences, being homeless, and all that. Mm-hmm. We get into the food court, and that's everything going on here. Yeah, I I like the food court bit. I like. I just I think there is like a good sense of like community, where like he- Magnus has this like. A little bit of like a quid pro quo with the the um, uh, falafel stand people, where like they give him free food. He makes sure that the other homeless people he knows like behave when they're in the food court and don't get themselves kicked out. Yeah, definitely. Like he is, he sort of posits himself as sort of like an in between, right? Yeah. Um, but also almost that like is... some kind of some kind of neutral ground. <laughs> yeah you're right huh no that's that's true um but that does like which you know in multiple levels like he he's homeless but he doesn't have to be homeless he has this other he has the family and stuff behind him um it's it's interesting what happens i i do like this is another return to like a little bit of like rick riordan's tips uh you know yeah. <laughs> Max's tips if you're ever homeless like find some old food <laughs> go to a food court um yep. And that's, you know, probably not a bad tip. I guess I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, you Thankfully, know. I don't think either of us have ever been in that position. Well, we haven't. Yeah. But I do think that, like, 
Magnus just has, it's a very charming relationship, right? He has yeah. like a, a real rapport with uh, with the guys at Fadlan's Falafel. And it, it makes me like, it really makes it feel like a genuine world. This is the urban fantasy shit. Yeah, I like, I love the detail that like, he uses a fake name with them. So when Magnus Chase turned up in the dead, dead in the newspapers, that didn't like ring an alarm bell for them. But like, they saw a dead kid who looks like this guy who's always hanging around the food court. And they were like, they were concerned about that. And they ask him and say, hey, we were kind of worried about you. Which is like, again, it has that sense of that rapport and also just like that fantasy shit kind of leaking through into Magnus's like actual life. Well, definitely. And it's also the same thing. It's the, um, it's the kind of intentional, you overlook things in the type of relationship that they have, right? Yeah. And you do it intentionally. I think that there is a, a sense that like, uh, he's talking to Amir, and it seems like Amir kind of knows that Magnus was the kid in the that you know oh, quote unquote Jimmy, or I don't know. It seems like he is more suspicious than he uh you know try like he doesn't pursue it, but it seems like he is a bit suspicious even after mm. Magnus says all that. And my reading on that is that like you know you you're not technically probably supposed to give away the day old food in this way, right? Oh no, like you're you're not like a, a lot of this is like. We overlook things to take care of each other. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is that is good. This is this is also where Magnus makes his big like statement about America, kind of. I I actually really like this. Yeah, go on. Where uh, I think Magnus is talking about like he's pointing out that there's like a bunch of like stuff, especially associated with the American Revolution in Boston, uh, and. Uh, he says, I don't really rate any of that. To me, like, Liberty is uh, Fadlan's falafel because it's where I can actually get some fucking food. And I I like the idea that, like, Magnus really doesn't give a shit about, like, America as a concept and as a country because, like, he, he has shit to worry about, like, where he's going to get his next meal. Yeah, absolutely. I And I think that this actually... I think that's really good, a really good bit of characterization, and I think that's like a... This is written in what Oct- this is released in October 2015. There is a political climate happening. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> there, there is a Donald Trump about to become president, mm-hmm. and I think this scene actually shows how much Rick Riordan cares about these concepts, though. Even though Magnus doesn't, uh, yeah. Like I think when you're banning about concepts of like liberty, like this is what liberty means. I think um, him specifically saying like you know what liberty is. It isn't like all the. It isn't all the old, you know, monuments and stuff like that. It's Fadlan's falafel. Like, that is a statement of, uh, that this is Rick Riordan intentionally doing sort of a, uh, a, a nose turn. A, like, a, a, he's turning his cheek away from, like, traditional ideas of liberty and, like, American sort of patriotism and saying those things actually belong to a more diverse community than you realize. Yeah, it's, think, he's doing a bit of the melting pot thing. Yes, and I think that is, you know, I, I there is there is some good and some bad to it, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, but you know what? So go ahead, play. I just wanted to circle back uh, around to Amir before we moved on uh, and just say that uh, I think it's very funny that, um, because, you know, we learn later that, like, Sam has a crush on this guy. And so, like, when Magnus first sees him, he's like, He's paying attention to, like, how handsome he is, how muscular he looks, how he hasn't got a speck of grease on his top. And it does, like, come come off as implying that Magnus is bisexual. No, absolutely. Magnus is bisexual. Okay, early this character's not says that. Magnus is bisexual. <laughs> come on. That's, I mean, like, that's very, that feels like what that's what that's implying. 
he, Magnus is talking about how fucking hot this guy is that works at the... You know, I would have a crush on the guy that gives me food, too. <laughs> and you know what? I guess credit, credit where it's due, this might not even be an accidental thing. I, we know that Rick will go there if he feels like it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Rick Riordan is not at this point, like... He will write just a, a queer character, right? Yeah. Man, this this just reminds me of... Uh, I, I told you about this. I picked up my copy of... Um, uh, Percy Jackson, The Chalice of the Gods the other day, just because I, I saw it in the supermarket and it had a nice cover, so I grabbed it. Uh, and there, we give Rick Ryden a lot of shit on this podcast, but fundamentally there was something just nice about picking up that book off a shelf with like four different J.K. Rowling books on it, uh, flicking to the autobiography in the back and seeing that you put his pronouns in it. Yeah. Rick Ryden's like a good guy, right? Yeah. Um... Should we talk just like talk about all the stuff with Amir and Samira right here? Let's yeah, let's get in. Let's wait into that. Why not? Yeah, sure. Uh, the, the, we we're jumping ahead, but this also you know is important here. Um, so we well, let's talk about how this conversation starts. I guess so. Later on, when they're on the boat, uh, Magnus is like, "What's with the what's with the scarf thingy?" Okay, I'm gonna I. I want to try and give Magnus a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here, because I don't think that it is just, wow, what's with the headscarf? I think his specific question is, how come you're sometimes wearing it and sometimes not? Because I think yes. the common conception of a hijab is that you have it on all the time when you're outside. Yeah, I do think that this is uh, Rick Riordan doing a bit of like, he's making Magnus, pl- not play, he's playing Magnus a bit dumb to yeah. do the like 101 thing he likes to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh. And, you know, they have, Samira is like, you know, sometimes I wear it, sometimes I don't. It depends on the context. Uh, mm-hmm. And gives that sort of, you know, simple as that answer, which I do, I, I like that. Um, uh, and that leads into the conversation about, like, or, or, like arranged marriage and Magnus being really like, oh, that sucks. I'm so sorry that you're in an arranged <laughs> marriage. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. And Samira's like, no, I I like the guy. <laughs> like, I, I've had a crush on him since I was twelve. I I can I feel like I come at this from two angles. Yeah. Angle one is that I think that Rick is fundamentally doing a good thing here, where to like kind of similar to what we were just saying. Like, as much as there is a lot of like wild racist shit baked into like the way that his world building works, I think that like what he is very directly doing with the text here is trying to like demystify something that is like a massive like trope in like in like islamophobic propaganda yeah well like the you know horrible arranged marriages absolutely do happen but they are like massively exaggerated as just like a thing to like kind of uh demonize all muslims with uh and i think it's it's good that he is like you know showing a more realistic uh, portrayal of that and kind of demystifying it for like an audience of young readers yeah, no, absolutely. But what's the other angle you come out from? The other angle I come out from is that this is still a bad relationship. Uh-huh. Because uh, uh, Amir is, like, I think 19 is what Magnus says, his, like, reckoning of how old he is is. And I feel like a 19 and a 16-year-old getting married is, like, that's... St- devoid all context of, like, arranged marriage or anything like that, and that's still fucked, I think. That's too too young and a little bit too much of a gap at that age to be in a legally binding relationship. Yeah, probably. I mean, definitely. Like, her crush since, since she was 12, she was probably, like, what, he was probably, like, what, 15 then? Yeah. Uh, 
Do we, and we know that Samira is 16, right? That's, that's yes. confirmed? Yeah. Uh, well, and I, I don't imagine they're, like, getting married this year or anything. It seems like it's still a ways off. I guess that's true. I, I, I maybe assume that just because, like, I know the legal age to get married in the UK is 16. I don't know if it's actually the same in America. I... <sighs> You you can I think get married younger. Uh, it, it's a I think it's like a state to state thing. Right. Okay. Um, but I I do think that like, it, it, it from the conversation it seems like they're not getting married anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Required and also doesn't shy away from like the sort of material aspects of this or of this structure though, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. The it's it's an arranged marriage and you know as marriage so often is arranged or not, it is uh you know kind of like there is an expectation and a sort of um a power that the more like financially uh like secure or you know rich or what have you that this one side that is more like uh if you're running a successful falafel stand you can dictate terms yes exactly right samira samira has her grandparents and like she's you know kind of taking care of them it seems like a little bit Mm -hmm. um and there there like there is a power differential there so that's why it's not just that you know she wants to seem it's not entirely the spider-man thing i which i kind of joked about earlier where Mm -hmm. you know peter parker wants to keep his life as spider-man away from everyone to keep them safe and seem like a normal guy it's more like she wants to be seen as normal so they don't change their mind yeah i i think magnus also just (laughs) he has a he like when sam is like talking about this he like zones out for a second and imagines like sam as like a superhero getting like getting the phone call in school and rushing off to the bathroom to change into her valkyrie uniform which is just <laughs> which incredibly is, funny for him to be thinking i like about to imagine that actually happening god yes <laughs> and you know i like that like you know he's, he's he's doing some demystifying but he's also not shying away from like the the negative aspects of it yeah i think like i i as much as i'm like this still kind of seems like a bad relationship i still think that's like that that this could still be a good arc because of that i think like if the conclusion to it is maybe sam realizing hey this is kind of fucked and maybe i don't want to do this uh, i think that would that could still be good just because it has shown like a realistic portrayal of someone like leaving that situation it's still like nuanced and not just like the absolutely batshit insane version of it you would hear on fox news like you said there's there's nuance happening and we don't know how that's going to go. I, it's interesting. We, we we should also look at this from, like, Amir's side because we don't get a lot... The way that he interacts with Samira is more like she's a younger sister than anything, right? Yeah, that... I can definitely see that. Uh, like, he doesn't... He's not, like, talking to her like she's his girlfriend or anything like that. No, definitely not. Like, he's, you know, like, hey, what are you doing there, Sam? Who are these guys? Like, that kind of, like, he's, he's like you know, kind of, like, snarling thing. Yeah. Um... Uh, Sniling is that is that a reference point you understand? Nope. You don't know the Sniler? No, what the fuck are you talking about? I thought you just misspoke. No, this is a Sniler. This car is Sniling. <laughs> okay, no, I I understand exactly what you mean based on this image that the the listeners cannot see. I I'll I'll put the, it on the Twitter. We'll, <laughs> we'll post the Sniler on the Twitter. You know about the sn- everyone knows about the fucking Sniler. I don't. Well, I know now, but I didn't before you said that. God, something's wrong with you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh yes, yeah. I I'm interested to see how this relationship turns out. You know, whatever way it does, I I think that they're you know 
marriage in all of its forms often is a very coercive and you know a deeply fucked institution uh-huh. um and like you said often arranged marriage is used for just severe islamophobia in a way that is like man look at your own home look look what kind of marriage is happening there right yeah, i mean that shit happens in christian cultures all the time as well is the thing yes yes exactly um i i think there is sometimes people are like actually everything is good and it's like well there's problems too there's uh, there's nuance you know yeah but so so far rick riordan seems to have a bit of nuance with this i don't know yeah i i also i also like that this kind of this plays into like his his beautiful melting pot vision of america because uh sam mentions that uh amir is her second cousin removed or something uh, and there is nothing more american than marrying your cousin <laughs> oh god <laughs> a bold thing to say from a british woman <laughs> uh I, the the royal family is a circle i don't know if you've seen that tree <laughs> that family tree is a fucking twig uh, <laughs> okay uh well last thing about sam uh we we do we do get a little bit of retroactive justification of the uh u.s invasion of iraq oh yeah just not not like a huge but a little bit of just like oh yeah my parents fled uh when saddam hussein was in power oh yeah yeah, yeah of course which, like, you know, people did flee the country during that period because it was a horrible place to live, but it became a much worse place to live after the U.S. invaded it, and the amount of people leaving that country skyrocketed. Uh-huh, but, you know, the Rick Riordan, classically the liberal guy, he's gonna follow the, you know, the o- the overwhelming American ideology there. Do you think Sam's mom was applauding uh, Raina's dad when he was over there? Oh, God. I think that everyone in Rick Riordan's books were applauding. Uh, you know, they were all clapping and cheering. They, mm-hmm. it's, uh, maybe not all of them. I don't know. Maybe Set would be like... Do you think Set... We Set would, like, hate the military? Uh, which, which one's Set again? I got... No, I got confused with Setney for a second. Yeah, I think... I mean, Set's a bad guy, so he hates the military, obviously. But he's also kind of, like... He's chaotic good sometimes. He's, like, chaotic neutral, right? Um, I guess so. So he's allowed to like hate the military a little bit. Uh, well, hang on. Let's we can we can suss this out because he is a force of chaos in Egyptian mythology, and that chaos started the 2011 Egyptian Revolution. So was the Egyptian Revolution of 2011 counter or helpful to U.S. foreign policy interests? That's what we need to figure out. Yeah, this is our homework assignment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ah, this is, uh, listeners, please turn in a uh, t- a three paragraph <laughs> essay on on this topic by 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 the next episode. Thank you. Oh Jesus. Uh should we just while we're on the Sam train, do you want to just talk a bit about her her dreams since they come up a little bit here? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's, let's get into her dreams of flying. She wants to be uh, a pilot. Now, a pilot is classically a really easy thing to become, from what I understand. <laughs> Yeah, there's no kind of background checks to that. There's no like uh, qualifications you need to get. You just fucking stroll into that cockpit and uh, press down on the gas pedal. I think is how planes. As work. I understand, as I understand, this is almost true. <laughs> uh, I I okay. Do you, well, I have a uh, you know sort of a like this person I know you know is related to this person I know uh you know uh sort of thing uh someone who went to Purdue University where there's all sorts of flight shit there. adverts from them yes you're <laughs> Purdue heavily advertises and they have a bit they have a lot of stuff going on with flying there uh including a lot of like just like 18 17 year old students who f- who have their own planes 
What the fuck? You don't you don't have to be old. You don't have to be that old or that trained to fly a plane. I guess apparently it's pretty easy. But I guess Sam's thing is that she wants to be like a commercial airline pilot, right? Yeah, which I think is what that is. Like there is a which I, there is a little bit of like it's pretty easy to become an airline pilot from what I understand. I thought that was like really difficult. Hang on. I was being sarcastic I, before. No, I'm pretty sure it's easy. Oh. Like like That's worrying. I Yes. No, I like I I think that like you like the the training like you can get it pretty young is what I like you can still be in like early college and be like qualified. To, I could be completely wrong about that. I'm pretty sure this is what I've heard. Oh, uh, it's yeah, it's fucked how young you can become a pilot, but I guess we're chill with Sam being a Valkyrie. The Sam, it's fine. What <laughs> what does she fly a horse? That's nothing. <laughs> well, if you crash a horse into a building, you're not going to hurt a lot of people. But if you accidentally crash a fucking plane into something, uh huh. Yeah, no, that that is different. That is much different. Um, I, you know, this is a very like, not rote, but like, you know, she has a dream of being. She's like, well, when I was uh six, I started drawing pictures of airplanes. I wanted to be a pilot. How many Arab American female pilots do you know? And Magnus is like, you would be the first, I admitted. And uh, she says, I like that idea. Ask me any question about airplanes, I can answer it. And then Magnus doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't care. <laughs> He's like, okay, I believe you. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I have the wherewithal to get into a conversation about airplanes right now. I guess Magnus probably just doesn't know shit about airplanes. So like she could tell him any old shit and he would have no choice but to believe her. I just like that she has the airplane autism. <laughs> Uh, it also, you know, I, I like that Magnus is very sheepish about it too. He has to like admit that he doesn't know any Arab American like, uh, pilots. Now, uh, I, I'll admit that I couldn't name any Arab American, uh, female airplane pilots. I also could not name any white male airplane pilots. Yeah. I, I cannot name a pilot. I will be <laughs> honest with you. I, I know Amelia Earhart and that's about it. <laughs> I think that there was, I think that there were brothers, uh, the oh, Wright a, brothers. There's a guy named, I think, Sully or Sullivan. Is that Sully uh, who, Sullenberger? Or is that something? The, the guy who like, yeah, he landed a, a plane in a river or something. And I only know about him because I, there was like a movie that came out about him when I was a kid and I saw the poster. I thought it was about Sully from Monsters, Inc. <laughs> that would be awesome. That's the only reason that sticks in my memory. <laughs> So I guess these are the the ones we know. Um, so, you know, I guess that's fair. Though I think those are all white people. That's uh, fair. Yeah, that's true. So she wants to be, you know, Sully Sullenberger famous. Is that actually his name? Yes, it is. Oh. <laughs> Apparently he's Chesley Burnett Sully Sullenberger III. That name just gets more unfortunate the more words you said. Maybe I should cut that out. <laughs> What if Sully Sullenberger hears it? He'll fly a plane into your house. Or actually, he'll land <laughs> it very safely in a river near your house. There is a river near my house. He'll, he'll do it. Just to show you that it could happen. Oh, God. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, Magnus feels the same way about his soul as a lot of transgender women feel about their genitals after a couple of years of HRT. It's like, whatever, take it. It's really small. I don't use it much. I doubt it even works anymore. <laughs> Oh, really good stuff there, Jane. <laughs> um, 
No, yeah, it's true. He he does not give a shit about his soul. This is Magnus over and over. He is a materially focused guy. I, I, he, I, hold on a second. I, he's he is in fact like saying the opposite of that in that scene. He's trying to downplay the value of his soul so that it doesn't get taken. This is true. Uh, he he he's understanding. This is also the other thing about Magnus. He understands like the reality of violence. Um, like this, this informs his decisions constantly. This is a big aspect of his character. Um, and he probably can understand that getting your soul taken out probably hurts. That was an excellent pivot. That was Thank bravo. You. Thank you very much. I'm so good at this. Uh, he's, he's been hurt a lot today. A fucking eagle hit him in this at the side of buildings over and over again. I, I love that, like, Magnus is a bit of a jackass in the scene with the eagle. Like, just uh, generally, yeah. I love that a character trait of his that he is a jackass. And also, I love that, like, you know, it's kind of it's kind of an evolution of and yet distinct from the way that, like, Percy just absolutely does not tolerate bullies. Is that, like, Magnus has been living on the streets for two years and he just absolutely does not abide being taken advantage of in this way. Like, that just sets him off immediately. Yeah, and he... He also knows when to quit, though, right? Like he, <laughs> he, like like we said, he understands that this guy's gonna kill him or hurt him very badly, and so he's like, "Yeah, I swear by my troth, whatever the fuck that means." Yeah, he doesn't know what that means, but he he is intuited that it's bad, but he is also intuited that being dropped on a roof covered in pitch and spikes would also probably be bad. And when you when you're being like hurled through the air by a guy named Big Boy, you know you've like got problems. Uh, I love the the descriptions in this scene. Also, yeah, there's just there's a very visceral. I think Magnus is like smacked at the side of a building and his ribs crack, and uh, the way he yeah. describes it is like it was like uh, like a bunch of tiny vials of acid had crunched in my chest, and that's that's just such a good visceral description of like both like the feeling of the bones breaking and the horrible pain afterwards. That's also like a very like. That's a unique description. Rick Friarden is good at coming up with unique descriptions for things that really make you feel it. Absolutely. Right? Like, I've never heard a bone breaking being described as like a vial of acid shattering inside of you, but it sounds true and awful. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of really good descriptions in these chapters, actually. I really like... Um, uh, oh, yeah, the, the smell of like the bait warehouse where they get the severed cow's head. Uh, and Magda describes that smelling like rotten egg, rusty metal, and raw onion. Ugh. And that's, like, the fictional smell descriptions don't really get me that often, but that one, I think, just, like, it, it hits, it feels sharp, and, like, you can almost smell it, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Rick Ryan, what Rick Ryan is good at is, like, evoking descriptions that you can imagine. And that, absolutely. like, they're, they're simple, and with their, like, simplicity, he really gets you. I want to say that, like, this seat is this the first time my main character has outright been like coerced uh into swearing something uh i think it might be because like the main characters of for instance like heroes of olympus and all that they do it all the time to other people <laughs> like they make bad guys <laughs> fucking swear by the river sticks and constantly this is true yeah that whenever it's a hero doing it it's like a solemn moment where they're like committing to something and so I, I think that this like introducing the idea of like swearing by your troth as k 
kind of a form of combat almost like something you do to you know gain the upper hand on someone else and specifically one that is easily inflicted on others um easily inflicted on our main characters makes it really scary and we and not only that but we also unlike swearing on the river sticks know what it does to you yeah, that's all. Swearing on the River Sticks has always been just like a very vague, you'll probably die. But this one is like, no, if Magnus fucks up, he'll get just like kicked into the void. He will go in. He, I think they say he will go into Helheim and be like exploded forever. <laughs> I also love that like Magnus does try to do the PG, PJO thing where you like you uh, coerce the villain into swearing on the River Sticks. And. Ron, in response to that, is just like, no, fuck you, I'm not stupid enough to do that. And I, like, it really underlines how badly Magnus got taken advantage of, that this is, like, a known thing that you never do. Yes, yes, exactly. Like, that, he's trying, he's learning, he's trying to deploy the tools that he has, uh, he, you know, he's street smart in that way, uh, it's not going to cut it. He man- the the fact that he manages to bargain Ron uh, to where he does is you know he does it effectively, but there is a limit to what he can do in that way, right? And and like that limit is kind of like the, what helps him pass that is Sam, who I really love uh, Sam the way that Sam like assists Magnus in this scene, where she she very quickly cottons onto the grift that he's doing with like pretending that he can get the sword, and is like talking him up, and that really like it tees you up for uh later in that chapter when ron like looks at sam and is like wow you really remind me of your dad because like it's yeah. true she was doing the loki thing of being like a smooth talker trying to swindle someone out of something she she is doing a lot of that and that i think that is awesome like because i i I, will, I didn't even notice that until like nearing the end of the chapters i was like she has been doing the loki shit um I mean, she, and she lives a double life. It's inherently duplicitous. Absolutely, yeah. Um, now I want to. I guess should we t- should we just talk about Ron then? Yeah, let's let's get into Ron. We talked about how Magnusor describes her as like a, uh, like a bag lady. You know, that's like the the archetype that he compares her to. Mm-hmm. Um, she is sort of a vehicle for you know some classic Rick Riordan environmentalism. Yeah. Some classic Rick Ryan environmentalism, a little bit of, like, ableist cracks at people who are mentally ill, although I think, like, Magnus's actual character perspective, I think, is, like, not unsympathetic to her. Yeah. Which is a he, refreshing change. Right, he he isn't like, oh, what's this gross, smelly old lady? He's like, alright, I understand the kind of person you are, I understand, like, you know, this is, you know, he, he compares her to, um, actually, this is another instance of, like, Homeless people aren't actually, they aren't, like, they they have, uh, they are usually actively choosing to be or avoiding a home <laughs> available to them, is sort of more and more, like, every single homeless person we know uh, is in this situation, uh, which I think is sort of required in overemphasizing an archetype, but he compares her to, like, or overemphasizing, like, a real situation, rather. Uh, but I I do think that, like, he compares her to like somebody he knows in real life, like a woman who uh, just like her husband died and she had this big house, but she didn't want to like, she, you know, she couldn't like, just like stay there alone or she would, you know, that would be awful. And so she, you know, she lived in the streets. Yeah. I I like that Magnus uh, 
you know, like you're saying, he's not like, oh, what's this gross lady? He kind of meets her where she is. And kind of like, I think it, he, we can see through like his internal thoughts that he doesn't, he thinks that her perspective is kind of weird, but he is not like so disrespectful as to just like dismiss it out of hand. There's not the condescension that is so uh, like immediate with with like uh, the Heroes of Olympus characters, for instance. Yeah, definitely. With, with like the way that um, the characters in Heroes of Olympus treat the um, the the fawns, the fawns, or the other sea goddess, the the storm one, for instance. <laughs> oh, uh, Kimopoleia. Yeah, yeah. Fuck yes, I remembered her name. I'm officially better at this than Percy's dad. <laughs> good work. Good work. <laughs> Oh, you should be like the sea, the goddess of all the oceans. I thank think. you, thank you. I get seasick very easily. Yeah, well, that would that would cure you. <laughs> no, and what I would I would also similarly avoid my house if my husband uh, was a hipster who uh, <laughs> who who like does like he does micro brewing. I believe specifically the thing. Uh, you you hear a lot of cracks made about like hipsters and microbrewing and stuff, and let me tell you, as someone whose dad was briefly into microbrewing, it's exactly as insufferable as it's made out to be. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this rang true. <laughs> yeah, this uh, just the fact that he won't shut the fuck up about it mainly. God, we don't even meet him, but he is all over these chapters in that way, right? I... You can you can. You can imagine him. One of the funniest lines in these chapters is when, like, Ron is kind of going off on one about it, and she's like, he keeps talking about microbrewing. He can't microbrew. His cauldron is a mile wide. <laughs> it's just, that's such a funny line. It's very funny. He is, in fact, macrobrewing. Um, <laughs> that's why he likes to have a giant wife. Um, so Don't we all? The, we all certainly do. Um, God. Uh, an interesting thing happens here also with Ron, where, like, she already knows about Sam and that Sam has been like expelled from Valkyrie ship. Right. Mm -hmm. And I really want to know what's up with like, I don't know, the godly communication networks, you know? Yeah. Considering that the gods seem to have completely fucked off from Valhalla. How did she even find out about that? Is this Odin somehow getting this information to everyone? Is this like, does she have a contact inside? I'm. I want to know the structure of this because of like because of how it's been positioned as like yeah they're all asleep or they've left. Uh, so I, the way that information travels in the series is a bit unclear to me, but I I think it could be really interesting if they do define that a bit more. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, for now it's just like a little bit weird that she knows that. I also just think the description of her is very cool. Like I think just like this image of this uh, big woman, like who is just like has this dress made of water that is like, and like is caught in a net that is all like catching all the garbage around her, like making mm -hmm. this great garbage patch. I I think that's just a very like classically interesting Rick Riordan sort of image of a character. Yeah, and like you were saying, she she kind of does a little bit of the Rick Riordan environmentalism TM. She talks about like the Pacific garbage patch, and like. Her whole deal is like, wow, look look how much uh, valuable crap you're throwing in the oceans. And also she loves it, like, to be clear. <laughs> like, she really likes there's a garbage patch. Which I think I she's, like, she's quite an antagonistic character, which I, meant, I think we're meant to understand is like, well, fuck this person. Don't give her more garbage. Maybe we can also understand it as sort of like a, like, tagged corruption style story, where, like, uh, <laughs> where, like... 
where like you know like she has kind of been forced to have all this garbage in the sea maybe she's just gotten used to it and is like yeah you know what? i love it i love to have garbage put in me actually yeah you know i mean that does make sense i think it would have been really funny if she showed up at the end of heroes of olympus and killed gaia because <laughs> she wants <laughs> the world to be more of like a, a garbage ridden shill <laughs> it's like a fucking um team aqua and team magma style thing <laughs> oh my god um I I think that's all I have to say about Ron. She she did, she then does the very classic thing. Uh, like we've had this with Percy and Jason. Don't fly. Don't walk on land. Now we have don't be on the water. Yeah, this this very much felt like the um, like at the end of Lightning Thief, where Arrows is like, in two books time, I'm going to fucking get you for this. Yes. <laughs> Which I'm very much looking forward to that. We know there's a book called The Ship of the Dead. Oh, oh no. So, yeah, in two books' time, he's going to be fucking gotten, I have to imagine. <laughs> or sooner, who's to say? Blitz and Hearth are not in a lot of this, but I do think that they are a... I, I, like, I, when they're on the page, it is always pretty good. I, yeah, the, I love the bit where um, they're debating whether to just send, like, uh, Magnus and Sam out on the fishing boat, uh, and... Half is arguing, no, Blitz, you are like, you're too petrified, you can't uh, go out with them. And Blitz tries to act like it's like, you know, I'm not that petrified, it's fine. And Half's response is to just like pick up a bit of metal, smash it over Blitz's head, and it just like, it conforms to the shape of his head, because it, it's all stone. It, it seems like he doesn't even notice is the amount <laughs> that like, like... Uh, hearth uh, hearth does this very casually in the background while blitz is talking it's <laughs> incredible slapstick comedy it's very good uh and we get separated from them for you know the first like not the first time but once again we are separated from them yeah and that's actually also the scene where magnus and sam have one of their first moments of like actually sort of being unified and working together mm-hmm. yeah when they're like, uh, digging up the world serpent well, not before that, when they're getting the bait and they have oh, to lug yeah, it back yeah, to the yeah. boat together. Like, they just have sort of, like, a, a simple kind of awkward, but, like, no no threats, no, you know, accusations. They just talk to each other for a minute while they do that. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, like, that and then the world serpent. I think it's a simp- It's a really nice little, like, three... It's, a, it's you know, two hits in the punchline. Then the punchline is her wiping away his tears at the end. Yeah, I, I love the description of, like... The sword of summer not feeling like like a traditional weapon, and like evoking like really happy memories for Magnus. It feels like uh, Danny was talking about this a bit in the Discord server actually about like Magnus even more so than Percy feeling like a kind of non traditional hero with like his healing powers and shit, and like the the sword doing that kind of shit feels like such a good like um, an indicator of where Magnus will be going as a character. Yeah, and isn't this kind of like a classic? rick riordan thing to do also just like you have this came up with nico a lot i think um mm. N- nico had a sword that made everyone feel bad when he wore around it <laughs> and also that was kind of just nico's aura um <laughs> that like, might have just been he... nico's bad vibes <laughs> but no he's really fond of like this the, the sort of description of like there is a feeling or an aura in the air that fills you with memories and that really like just sort of like make you feel an emotion more than anything. This happened in Tartarus multiple times. Um, th- I, this is a I, go. Sorry, 
And I guess this is also, this is like nectar and uh, ambrosia and shit. Yes, exactly. And I think that like, this is another example of that. And I think it's really well done because like, we get to see that emotional side of Magnus. And I really, I just love that we get to see him cry. I, I really do love that. Yeah. It's, uh, I like Magnus. Good character. Magnus is awesome. I like Sam too. Her like wiping away his tears is really nice. It's a tender moment. I, there's a little bit of conversation after that, but I think the chapter would have been a bit tighter if it ended there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where my notes end. <laughs> yeah, and same, same. I, like, I know that they talk after that. He's like, oh, what what did Ron mean about you being able to fly with your parents? We can save that or we can put it in earlier. Come on. <laughs> like, it, it it doesn't matter that much. Like, it, it, it's, it matters, but it doesn't matter for, I think, the moment. Mm-hmm. And instead, we end off with her saying, I'm going to go talk to Harold. We haven't talked about Harold at all. Harold's, I feel like, is a bit of a nothing character, if I'm being honest. He's a bit nothing. He's the first, like, frost giant we've met, though. Mm. Um, And he's also, he's just kind of an honorary guy, right? What what words are you saying? It sounds like you're saying he's an honorary guy. O-R-N-E-R-Y? Right, I see, I see. There's a degree to which he is, you know angry but also like there is an ex- like he's he has a bit of playful a little bit of playfulness to that anger where he's like i'm gonna kill you if you do that you know what i mean uh-huh <laughs> but you also get the feeling that he will kill you even though he's saying it in that tone of voice even even though he's fucking sniling at you or whatever while he's saying it no that was a mirror who was sniling <laughs> we, they can't all be sniling it's only a mirror uh and yeah no i i think that is like his sort of um he's he's a nothing character but i i i like just like having the old sea captain that's that that's i don't know it's fun. i think i think the problem is that he is like hanging around in the background of like magnus and sam really talking to each other and getting a lot of character development and like developing their relationship for the first time so he's just like you're really not paying attention to any of the stuff that he's doing yes uh it's kind of insane that the world serpent appears here and we haven't talked about that really in our uh-huh. discussion. Which... I, the the world serpent just going fishing for the world serpent is just such a like simple, fun, urban fantasy idea. <laughs> that's it. That's the thing. I think that this would be a worse scene if it was more emphasized if it was more like it's not like it's not emphasized. The immensity of the world serpent is incredibly emphasized. We spend paragraphs and paragraphs on it. Uh but the fact that it happens so casually and as a side effect of the more important encounter makes this feel so straightforwardly like mythological. Like sometimes you go fishing and you fish up the world serpent and it happens. Yeah, sometimes just like a mythological figure will appear in a story that isn't really about them. They're just like a thing that exists in this pantheon. And I also, I love that even though it's not something we dwell on, like one of the ways that it's really emphasized that uh, this is like a big deal is that Magnus like is in his internal monologue, he's like shitting himself. Uh-huh. He's absolutely <laughs> terrified of this thing. And I, I just, I like that he is the kind of character who will just admit when he's shitting himself about something. Yeah. Like he is bluffing to Rod about like, I will, I will rend your net in twain with the sword. Meanwhile, he's like, uh, but what if I summoned the sword and also it, like, nicked the side of the world serpent's face and it woke up and destroyed the world? <laughs> like, that'd be pretty bad. Also, it's a giant cat. Is it a giant cat? 
it's kind of Magnus describes it as looking like a giant cat a little like not but like having the attitude of a giant sleepy cat oh I see I see I see what you mean for a second I was wondering if that was maybe a localization thing they There's sorry been... Jane you think that maybe in the the English the like the, the the British localization they changed it so that the world serpent didn't look like a cat? What the fuck are you talking about? I think I'm just like starved for localization shit. There was a lot of really wild stuff with the Percy Jackson books, and there's just had not been any since. That's true. I'm staying on this. Is there like a British like phobia of cats that I don't know about? Are they like considered bad luck? What's Well no, because he, he previously describes it as an eel. And I thought that you were talking about that bit when you said, Oh, it's described as looking like a cat. So I was like, why the fuck would that be different? The only reason I can think of to change it between the editions would be some kind of weird localization thing. Yeah, they localized the way the ears and whiskers. You're right. We we love eels in the UK. Keep them as pets all the time. That that's awesome. I would love. What's your what's your pet eel's name? Uh, slimy. Slimy. That's so <laughs> cute. I would love to have a pet eel named Slimy. <laughs> I wouldn't. Eels seem kind of gross. Yeah, but they're so cute. Uh, also, um, so we'd, we'd be properly fucked if you'd fished up the world serpent because you'd be like, "Oh, it's a cute eel," and you tickle its chin and wake it up, and it would kill us all. <laughs> I think that would happen. Uh, a return to stupid bitches. The podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to our bonus show at patreoncom girls if you want to understand that joke. God, um, you know, I also this this is a, there's a, a couple things that we didn't go into here. Uh, I like that one of the things that like Magnus is, you know, we talk about he's he's like kind of the the dumb guy acting as the he doesn't know a lot, you know, as the sort of a receptacle for like the unknowing reader and whatnot mm-hmm. um, in the conversation with Samira. He also is really connecting with her here, I think, for like this is part of like what helps him connect with her for the first time, because he's understanding that they're both in their own ways incredibly disenfranchised. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, like, it's not a huge thing, but him understanding, like, oh, your shit is fucked, just, like, in a very similar way to mine. Like, you you don't have parents, you, uh, like, are, are kind of at the behest of, uh, you're at the behest of, like, power and wealth in a very specific way. Uh, like, you need to be concerned about things like money, which not everyone does. Yeah, I, for... I like that he connects with her over that. Yeah, for Sam, it is this kind of, like, having to having to kind of contort herself to fit into the the worldview of like both her her family and also like the um the valkyries and for magnus it is a case of like you know he's not able to eat sometimes because he's treated like shit for being homeless i just like that that's a classic like camp half blood is where all the neurodivergent kids go right it's where Uh you can find community um it's a little bit of that but on a more individual level like i don't know I, i enjoy that yeah definitely Rick Ryden, he, he, he likes an underdog character. Yes. Anything else you want to say, Jane? Oh, I like the, um, the only real thoughts that Magnus has about his dad in this book so far are that uh, when he meets him, he's going to hit him for giving away the sword. <laughs> yeah. I just love the idea of like this frolicking summer god like skipping across a field to his son and being like, oh my god, Magnus, my, my child, so good to finally meet you. And then Magnus just fucking decks him. <laughs> No, like, yes, because he's <laughs> talked early on in the book about how, like, 
you know, he doesn't really care, right? He doesn't have, like, a longing in his heart for a dad or anything like that. Yeah, most of so, what he knows about his dad is just the ways that he's, like, fucked up in a cosmic sense. Yeah, and so he's like, all right, the emotion that I am filled with is simply, yeah, you kind of suck, I'll punch you. <laughs> oh, last thing. Uh, Sam also has a line when she's, like, t- telling Magnus about her history, where she says that her family has a long history with the Norse gods. And I'm curious about which way this is going to go. Like, whether or not that is going to be like, that's just a hand wave to be like, yeah, it, don't worry about it. We're just going to assume that this is true. Or if this is going to turn out to be another one of those insane historical conspiracy theories, like Frank's ancestors being yes. Like Romans. <laughs> yes, I I also wanted to call, point that out. Yeah, because this could really, <laughs> really... Uh, I mean, it could be something as simple as like, there were, you know, there was... You know, this could be they something moved. completely real and legitimate, right? Uh-huh. Uh, it could also be some insane bullshit, which Rick Riordan has already primed us with, with, you know, the Vikings went to Boston. Like, that, that's the foundation of this series. It's the foundation of, like, Frank's entire backstory in Heroes of Olympus. Like, I'm not counting out the possibility that that's what's going to happen. I really... You know, last thing for me, too. Ma- what's wrong with Magnus's mom <laughs> that she was... <laughs> She was like, all right, Magnus, you have to come watch Jaws. I insist that you do it. And then, like, gets him in front of the TV and is like, all right, Magnus, this might be too scary for you. Like, come on. I don't know. Jaws is pretty scary, I reckon. I I guess so. Have you not watched it? I have seen. I've seen Jaws. Yeah, but, like, make up your mind. (laughs) Look, I I get the impression that she was not the most, like, consistent woman in the world. Maybe a bit kind of airy, airy and flip-floppy, and that might be why a uh, fucking centrist layabout summer god liked her. <laughs> yeah, she could take both sides, like, in the way he couldn't. <laughs> no, she's the one who's like, I guess I see both sides, and he's the one who's like, "Don't we, shouldn't we find somewhere in the middle? Speaking <laughs> of people who pair. might be taking both sides, not Sisset. Not Sisset. You, I'll, I'll give you... Which one of us takes Magnus for this one? Uh... I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna state my claim on uh, bisexual Magnus because I pointed it out first. Okay, but under condition of you have to give one more piece of evidence. One more piece of evidence. Um, I think there are some homo vibes between him and Thomas Jefferson Jr. I think <laughs> some TJ, homo vibes. TJ was very willing to just like get his shit rocked for this guy he just met. Yeah. No. I I I don't disagree. I. I guess, yeah, no, that, that's that's fair. You know what? Bisexual Magnus definitely real. You 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 did the job that I asked of you. Um, who will I do? I mean, Hearth and Blitz heart like are continuing to be incredibly tender with each other in a this way that true. I love. Like they are like Bert and Ernie in these chapters. I, they, they are Bert they are and Ernie from like, the Muppets. It's do you have Sesame Street over there? Uh, no. I guess you wouldn't. I I usually would call them Bert and Ernie from Sesame Street more than them from the Muppets, but I didn't. I, I didn't even know they were in both things. I think they're primarily from Sesame Street. I might I might just like know the names of the two puppets and associate them with the Muppets because that's the main puppet thing I know. No, I mean the the Muppets are Sesame Street, Jane. What? Like, yeah, no, it's all the it's all the Jim Henson Company. It's they are Muppets in the in Sesame Street. Huh. I mean, I knew it was the Jim Henson company, but I didn't realize it. What? This is a fucking tangent. I'm stalling for time. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. I'll, we can get back on the tangent in that case. Uh, yeah. Just so, like a geometry shooter would. Yes. 
So when it comes to Muppets, you have to understand that there are... Okay, so in Homestuck, there's this thing called Smuppets. And that uh, is... Uh, I think that uh, I hear... Uh, saw you from across the bar and really liked your vibes and wants to know if you're looking for a third. <laughs> I think he he is like I guess he's a chaser. What I don't know what I'm saying. He's like a he's like the he's like the What character name did you say? I hear. I who the fuck is I hear? The hipster husband. Right, right, right. I I look I looked up the IPA. I think it's I hear. I was like, he's always brewing IPA. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> all right. And on that note, um, I feel like I just said that he was cishat. I feel like that's basically just what I did. You um, did. You implied, the, you implied that chases are all not cishat. I, I guess I'm saying that Which he's Which is very like, not true. I guess he's like, he's like a very specific type of like pansexual guy, I guess. I see what you're saying. Is this a is this hateful? <laughs> like you know you know the type of guy, right? No, I know I know what you mean. Like a Travis McElroy type, but I don't think actually is Travis McElroy. No, he's he's not. He says that he regrets that he's not bisexual. He did say that. He wishes he was bisexual. Are we the hateful ones? Is Travis McElroy right? Maybe Travis McElroy is right, and we're the bigots. How Fuck. much of this is staying in the episode? Do you? Reckon? I guess all of it. All right, so Thomas Edison was mentioned. Uh, Thomas Edison and Tesla were implied, were sort of implied here. I think that they were in yaoi's together. Implied how? What? We talk about Loki having like stolen the patent for the net in a way that makes him seem like the Thomas Edison of nets. (laughs) Which. You know what? You know what? I, actually, I can't say it because this is your one. What are you saying? Uh, I reckon Loki took the net design from Ron because he wanted to make himself some fishnets. Yeah, fuck it. All right, my choice is Loki then. Our intro and outro is Super Mario Ocean <laughs> by Space Pony. You can find that at OC Remix. Uh, our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore in on Twitter. We are hosted, and I'm sure they're regretting it every single day, <laughs> with the Moonshot Podcast Network. Uh, we got some special stuff coming up. Extra Life is soon. I, I, the net, has the date been announced yet? I'm not sure. Uh, but it, keep your eye on the Twitters. Um, also, we can find us on twitter.com slash unwisegirls, co-host, Tumblr, all that. I think there's a blue sky now. Um, there's a blue sky. And you can find episode links, uh, pictures of the Sniler. You can find uh, <laughs> you can find uh, our our links to our Discord, which you should join. Been some new people in there lately. It's hopping, by which I mean there are at least a few posts a day, and with your help, there could be more. Um, uh, and you know, visual companions when needed. Um, also, if you want to help support us, you can leave a five-star rating and review on your podcast app of choice. You can tell a friend about us. That one really helps, uh, because, you know, people like their friends more than they like fucking iTunes reviews. Uh, and <laughs> also, you can go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month, you can get the disorderal of Certified Chaser. So you can be like, I hear, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. For $3 a month, you get the Discord roll of Mid-Guardian and all of our bonus content. If you want to listen to more of our awful, no good, very bad podcasting, you can uh, 
join up at that tier and listen to our latest bonus episode where uh for halloween we covered scream 2 uh and if you are interested in more spooky things for the spooky season uh next week we'll be covering nightmare on elm street 2 2 and the uh scary doctor who episode the water of mars i honestly think the scream 2 episode is one of the better episodes we've like we do a lot of good episodes i think that is one of my favorites we've recorded in a while yeah i think i think we, I think we did a good job uh also, $5 a month you get the Discord roll of Thor's Hammered, uh, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank I Love Sammy's Great, Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. for a podcast of all time. This is Champs in the Making, a Pokemon Bracket podcast where we take every one of these creatures in the Pokemon video game franchise, put them in a bracket together and find out which one the best one is. Starmie gives me like organic, free-range, gluten-free, like fidget spinner energy. Swallow can swallow a tire hole in one gulp. Ladybug looks like it is ready to give you so many high fives with each of its little mitten hands. <laughs> I don't like Weird Ear's face. It's got a big testicle for a nose, for sure. <clears throat> I think Dido King's favorite beer is PBR. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Champs in the Make, a Moonshot Network podcast about Pokemon. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts or first at patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork.